Welcome to another episode of Natvar Brews. My name is Andy. I'm a beer lover and brewer based here in Cardiff in what's usually sunny Wales, but it's nighttime at the moment, so I can't reclaim that. And Natvar Brews is the name of my little brewery. It's also the name of this podcast. It's about beer, but just a little strange angle on it sometimes. And today's episode is a perfect example of this. Well, first thing I've got to say is if you're listening on audio, great. Uh, that's kind of what podcasting's for. But you should really watch this episode on YouTube. It will, it's on YouTube. Just search for Nantvar Brews and watch this because this is an episode that needs to be visual because it's about design, about beer bottle design, beer label design, just design and beer. And this is just such a perfect subject for what Nantvar Brews is all about. And we have a proper good expert on as well. He is someone who knows this stuff. He's a graphic designer and he lectures in graphic design and leads courses and... He's basically responsible for the next generation of British designers, I think. Would you say that, Ben? Well, yeah, I think <laughs> I, 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 I have some responsibility in that stake. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> he also happens to be um, a very old friend of mine and my, and my brother-in-law as well. That, that's another story that we could do another podcast about. So, Ben Dunning, welcome to Navar Bruce. Thanks for coming on. I, I'm honoured. Thanks for inviting me. <laughs> so just tell us where you're teaching at the moment. I'm currently course leader for the BA Graphic Design Visual Communication Illustration course at the University of West London, which is based largely in Ealing. So, yeah, this is a kind of visual episode. If you are listening and you can't uh, watch the YouTube thing, that's fine. We'll describe the bottles as we talk about them. A lot of them you'll know anyway. You can picture them and you can Google them as you go uh, and it'll work fine. We'll talk a little bit about beer and design generally. And then we've picked three bottles each that are just interesting to us from a design point of view. And I just want to get Ben's expert explanation, really, on, on why these designs have ended up how they are and what that says about beer and design. I think it's going to be a really good chat. Uh, but I always like to check, what, what are you drinking? Are you drinking something while we chat, Ben? What are you drinking? I sure am. It's a Sam Smith uh, Old Brew Pale Ale. There, there was a thought process behind picking it. So even the bottle of beer you've chose to drink has a design angle on it i like that it's how committed to design you are uh, it's it, it's every waking minute Andy. <laughs> <laughs> i am drinking so i went for a very long run earlier because i'm training for a half marathon and i did not feel like having um an alcoholic beer so i've got an erdinger which i heard uh, an alcohol-free one which i heard is really good for recovering after runs and it has been really good and i've said this on the podcast before you know drinking beer enjoying beer does not need to be about alcohol uh, there are brilliant no and low alcohol beers at the moment if you want to find out more about that go back to the episode that i did with the founder of dry drinker and we got into all of that and explained why it's really taking a step change forward but yeah you can like beer and not drink alcohol that's absolutely fine that's something that's changed recently that's fantastic so anyway look, let's get into this design i'm going to ask you an almost impossible question what is design about like why is design so important design is is that vessel upon which we attribute things to another thing you know and a message is communicated to us and you're making value judgments about it at almost a subconscious subconscious level but yeah you know, design is a delivery method for a whole bunch of ideas and concepts yeah you know, skillful people are, are manipulating those words and images to try and uh, yeah communicate something to an audience that that might be as pithy as i'm going to get oh, that's good i really like that and um, ever since we came up with the idea for this episode i wanted to talk to you about one beer in particular and that's bass because it is famously the first ever trademark it has the simplest logo you could have it's a red triangle and it's so 
instantly recognisable. I have a cardboard cutout of it here because <laughs> it's weirdly hard to get hold of, Bass. I mean, I think Asda stock it. I wasn't able to get to Asda and get one. Dark brown bottle. But it's got that distinctive red triangle on a black background and the italicised kind of gold writing of Bass. So, and it puts on the label trademark number one as well. So give us some design analysis of Bass as a label and a brand. Uh, well, I think maybe a better description of the way that uh, Bass is written on it currently is more is more cursive. So it has that handwriting that's feel to it. That's what we want. Uh, that that might be uh, a more applicable terminology. But I think it's the apocryphal story though that that there was the guy just after the um, trademark act in some in the late nineteenth century was was made into law, ready to to jump in and get Bass as the the first first trademark. It's irrelevant whether it's true or not. But it's a story that people who spend any time going, oh, what's the story behind it, will have read. But I think the the idea, the story of Bass is older. Ultimately, that arrange, you know, the, the words and that image together were trademarked at a particular time, but they existed for a period before that. It was the sort of Coca-Cola of its age. It had an international reach. You could find it everywhere. Brand, if we away from the sort of formal qualities of it, because ultimately there's not much going on here apart from there being a red triangle. There's this decline that has occurred with the brand over the time in terms of people's, they've got massive awareness of it, but they can't necessarily buy it. It's gone through different owners. It's not brewed necessarily in the same place. And I think that this is a sad tale about actually the way that design is used. As a designer, I want designed to be a positive force uh, a good thing but ultimately that current iteration of the bass bottle highs you know multitude of sins ultimately of, of of its of its history it tells a longer story than simply this is a good beer is it evoking false tradition in a way kind of being a bit pulling the wool over our eyes a bit well absolutely within that that triangle obviously it's harking back to it it featuring in the um the famous painting that is it manet or there is a a, a painting where in which the red triangle features in a wow. bar which i think dates from prior to it actually being trademarked it's actually the recognizability of it and that's what i mean about it being in that painting that whether or not you could read the word bass a red triangle at a bar says bass look we should move on because yes. uh, otherwise we're never going to get through these beers but that's a fascinating okay. analysis so it's a bat story bat story good right uh next one is your choice and is it the one that we can see now the kernel yeah well i thought i'd start with that because home brewing is the reason this podcast exists i remember us talking about the way that you were labeling the beers that you did and that you you um described how you've got a, a brown bottle with just a, a squiggle of, of of writing on it, not even on a label. We should say, by the way, if you can't see uh, what we're talking about, the Colonel uh, is a brewery. It's a London brewery, I think, and South London, yeah, yeah. And it's and its labels are very simple. So it's got um, brown paper, quite a thin band across the bottle, and then it's just got very simple black writing. You know, you can Google it or hopefully watch it on YouTube, but that's the vibe. It's very simple. It's very dressed down. This has an absence really of of a of a heritage from a, a longer period of time and it's trying to say something a bit different and uh, it's trying to say we are different to me it's saying well, well what's important to us is the beer mm. and that's our priority and we're just going to communicate in the clearest style to you that this is the beer and you know it, it goes for very some sort of sim- simple 
graphic design tricks of, of of hierarchy so the name of the brewery is is the largest thing there so you recognize it's being the kernel so if you know if you like kernel beers you're thinking all oh, right it's the kernel so if you're not already drawn out by the very pared back bottle brown parcel tape type label then you see the kernel so it's it's clear with a very few items in fact just like that you know that we are instantly recognizing it as a particular brand and i think if you if you see it in a fridge in a, in a pub or you see it in a shop selling bottles, it stands out on That's the shelf exactly. massively, despite the fact it's, it's not anti-design, but it's got the minimal amount of design it could possibly get away with and still be identifiable. And, you know, one of the interesting things about design is a designer can set out, a marketer can set out, a brander can set out with this is the values that we want people to understand. And they could broadly convey that. But once it's out in the wild, what people read into it mm. is what society reads into it. Yeah, I love that point. I hadn't thought of that. It's brilliant what how you're explaining this, that that message is, and it's subtle, you don't realise you're being told it, but you're being told the beer is the most important thing, not the label. And I never thought of it that way. And actually, it's incredibly brave to do what they've done for the design choice because you're giving away a lot of real estate back to the bottle. You see lots of brands do it. They kind of write this fluffy stuff like, you know, enjoy life, drink pure, you know, have fun. You know, there's always these three... And you just think they've just stripped away all of that and gone, this is the name of the brewery. This is the beer. We're from London. Let's get on with it. Yeah. It's an absence of copy. It's all sans serif as well, which in its sense suggests modernity. That absence of of images, the bottle becomes the image. It's word as image. I'm going to use that word again, a vessel for you to imprint upon it that, ah, this is good beer. And that's the values you have about it. And at the same time, we're not shouty about it. We don't have to have anything flashy. We don't have any of this kind of stuff. So it's, you know, it's, it's, there's a purity maybe to it as well. It's a key word in brewing. Yeah. Yeah. And also, they Absolutely. resisted the urge to use Comic Sans, so so that's good. <laughs> oh my god, I can't have a design discussion without Comic Sans. But you've got, that's, that's fine. I got it in there. I got it in, it in there. No beers have got Comic Sans on the labels, <laughs> but we now. could be corrected. Yeah. <laughs> that Bruce can be the first, right? Um, oh god, I might have to ask you about about my typeface and logo. Maybe I'll save that for another episode. Anyway, I'm going to move on to my next beer. So this is one that I haven't warned you about. I bought this. Shout out to Pop and Hops on Whitchurch Road in Cardiff, a fantastic place. And I've tweeted about the fact that those places, we need to use them or lose them. Tough out there at the moment. Everyone hasn't got much money, but these local independent places run by passionate people. If you don't support them, they will go and then you'll miss them. So make the effort to go. I bought a selection of bottles from their store in the Corp uh, market in Canton. And this is what I went for. And it was absolutely amazing. It's a German pills, but I saw the label and thought, I've got to show Ben this. So here we go. Let's get your reaction to this one. Rothhaus pills. The label is all in German, which is always a good sign. <laughs> I haven't even, it's been imported without even trying to translate anything. So this is the proper job. So come on, let's throw some design stuff at me. If we're talking about branding and the way that things are marketed, uh, and you'll know this, when, when things come from abroad, from anywhere, they already automatically have some kind of exoticness to them. Yes. There's, yeah. there's something about it, I think, particularly with food and drink stuffs. And for people who are interested in trying something different, they will see all those visual cues, starting first with it being in a language that's maybe not their native tongue. And that is attracting them in there. Uh, yeah, I better describe this bottle quickly. If you can Google it. So... Rothaus is spelled R-O-T-H-A-U-S and Pils, obviously P-I-L-S. 
a label that's got red red bands top and bottom and then the main illustration is of a smiling traditional german woman with trees behind her but what drew me to it and what why i thought of you is just like the the illustration style is so distinctive it's blocky like mostly straight lines bold colors and it just leaps off the page to you and she's holding a couple of beers and then you've got rough houses in some kind of i guess some kind of gothic font um pills in something that looks a bit 70s ish watch on youtube to get the full thing but i that gives you a vague idea of it so sorry ben back to you i i think you're doing a great job of describing it there you know um and uh, uh maybe i will use this in the description or use it to my students and say look this is someone who's not schooled in it describing something <laughs> maybe you could take some pointers blocky <laughs> uh, blocky uh, but that that's your instinct that's how you're you're, you're, yeah. you're feeling about it there's a hint of the sort of the primary color that you might if, if people remember the sort of the miffy books uh yes. dick bruner which in my mind does evoke a more sort of continental feel i think that the the illustrative style is is trying to hark back to again a sort of maybe a, a, an older period. Um, there's almost a stained glass feel about it. Yes. So I think that that's true. That's possibly deliberate in it. Uh, and I think maybe one other word you might look at is a bit impressionistic or maybe an abstract would be that. It, yeah. Although it's not simply a case of we haven't brand, rebranded this for you know decades because we can't be bothered, but more a case of we're we're tapping into the fact that we've been doing this a long time. It's telling you we are quality. I think you're sort of having a, a good stab at trying to describe the type. I mean, I think there's certainly some some gothicness to it. And because you you mentioned about type and typefaces being an in, in, in integral part of graphic design, absolutely, and a key part of what we do and talk about is that those shapes that make those letter forms are very inspired by the handwriting strokes. So those wide nibbed ink pens making one stroke yes. a downstroke and then hooking back round to get thin strokes to get the sort of the bowls of the to the letters. It has this suggestion of handwriting and of craft behind it. Yeah. Yeah. And any good designer knows, you know, trying to match your typefaces is is an art. And you know, having them strongly contrast is also quite a uh, complement but contrast so you've got something with this calligraphic across the top and then you've got something that is certainly feels like it's more of the printing age so there's this contrast between this is the past this is the future here we are i would hope that most people walk away from this thinking i'm going to get a classic german pills for this this is going to be well it was uh, it yeah. was absolutely beautiful and yeah. am i right in thinking ben that you know we talked about the impressionistic or non-realist i called it blocky um, the way that it's, it's, it's quite hard. It's a real skill to make that still rep look like the thing it's meant to represent with such little detail. Uh, you, you raise good points about, you know, how much can we pare something down before we don't recognise it? The closer we, we, we move away from it being a, a very literal representation of something and, and being very photorealistic, the more we can imprint onto it so if it's really photorealistic it's absolutely this thing with these values or, or whatever you don't have to interpret at the time there's, there's, where, there's no interpretation yeah. but the the more abstraction uh, that you have it, it allows people to imprint themselves on it if it's a face for example and and other things can come into that that messaging but this one really that i think i did pretty much buy this on the strength of the label i could obviously tell it was a pills and the thought that's something i'd like to have so yeah now that's that's been really good. Right, on to your next bottle, Ben. 
We're going to this go. Is the Sam Smith. This is the Sam Smith that I have been drinking uh, and is is now finished. The reason I picked this, and I actually I, I stood in the shop, my local um, Noble Green in uh, Hampton Hill, but I stood there thinking, what what beer is definitely trying to keep some of those from a UK perspective traditional visual language alive so and I, I, in a sense i sort of almost picked this to contrast with the way that, that the bass that you had um looks like so that the bass that version of it looks quite different from the way that it would have you know it, how it's looked in the past but if you're able to look at this label a bit more closely and if anyone is familiar with bottles of sandsmith beers you've got very sort of thin red lines again limited color palette which goes back to what we were saying uh, previously that in itself has a, a connection with history uh, but there's lots of little little details like changes in scale this kind of the, this banner effect uh, you've got uh, so connections sorry to interrupt, with ben. if you want to sorry. see this and you're listening and you want to know what to google it's sam smith's pale ale organic i guess you'd want to uh, put in there as yeah, well. yeah that's on the top yeah bottle it has that kind of pump clip quality that yes. it has that kind of a you know being hand poured it's got that, those kind of um vibes about it uh, i think also interestingly because it's sam smith's are everything else about them are proud of its sort of yorkshire roots mm. it's got the the road the white the, the white rose at the yeah, top the white rose kind of gets pride of place doesn't it it's almost like a like a crown you would see on anything that is got a royal charter or whatever it's called when they you know approve products yeah. it's like that they put the crown on top and they put the white rose on top so yeah, they are very particular about highlighting where we're from and our and our heritage. But there's a lot of type going on it. So it, it has you know sort of 19th century playbill kind of qualities yeah. to it. You can imagine that the front label maybe hasn't changed for maybe even a hundred years. Yeah. But the back label, they've got a big is that a picture of them kind of brewing it? Is that a picture of the, the fermentation vat? They're Yorkshire squares, it says there to ferment uh, their bottled ales at the Sam Smith Tadcaster Brewery. So yes, they are. They've got a photograph on there to, to, again, to reinforce this tradition. And I think that that's really a, an important thing for any brand is that it's the stories that they tell. I think we started with Bass, which is a bit of a sad story from something that was, yeah, the Coca-Cola of its day, uh, and where it is now is it's a is a different area. Whereas we contrast that with Colonel, which is the antithesis of everything that this looks like. <laughs> so we've got something that's been there done that got the t-shirt but is maybe fallen on harder times and now looks maybe a little bit more generic despite this incredibly rich history to it you've got something that is totally wants its modernity and its focus on the craft to be front and center you've got something that wants us to think about its roots in the continent and its brewing traditions now we've got something that visually is trying to tell us something about its uk traditions and particularly the county in the uk that it comes from and i, I talk about this as if this is obvious but for you know for your listeners and, and other people it, it might be percolating at the back of our brains but a lot of this is all happening without us really consciously thinking about it but we make value judgments on it and that we might not even consciously recognize but all of these things that these bottles are doing are communicating that uh, and I would add all of the, what we've looked at has been in brown glass as well. And they've been bottles, yeah. which in yeah. itself. That's about to change. It, that is. And actually going back to the kernel very briefly, the, it's interesting that they could be in cans, which we may will probably come. We're coming to, but they've gone for bottles. So there's mm. this interesting contrast between the 
maybe more traditional bottle and the super modern can as a way of getting across interesting beers or different brands. Yeah. Right. So talking of cans, the can that we are going to put, and this will, you know, there will be a lot of beer lovers who eyes may burn when they look at the screen here for various reasons. But I think it's a fascinating one. Right. And you, you actually just suggested that we talk about this. And I thought it was a great yeah, idea. Yeah. So here we go. This is a can of Madri, which seems to just be everywhere now. And yeah, it's it's a 440 can. I mean, I think we all know what kind of Madri looks like, right? But yeah, it's if you want, if you want to like, Google it. But Who doesn't know Google, what Madri looks like now? Always <laughs> Google can of Madri, uh, or just watch it on the on the YouTube. But Ben, I, I I'm really looking forward to seeing what you say about this. So give us your best or worst on Madri. It is a, a story of branding, um, because this is a, a beer that sounds Spanish. It claims its roots in Spain. You know, if you read the press releases and the commentary, it is a joint venture of some description between a Spanish brewer and and a mega brewer uh, in the UK. But the cause, yeah, you're right. Yeah, Molson cause. So brewed and packed in the UK. Yeah, and the thing is that it was always a beer that was going to be brewed and packed and created in the UK. It's a UK lager, but it's that idea just to come back to the German one so it's kind of really perfect that you sort of put that one out it's not imported but it wants us to think about Spain it wants us to think about being on holiday it wants us to think about warmth and maybe that a Mediterranean kind of lifestyle etc and they played a very good game of you know how they've released this so it's not just about the design here but and I think this is an, a, an important point one of the, the books I've got is a, a book on brands by a chap called Wally Ollins which you know is one of those kind of required reading books but brands are and to come back to it stories and what they've managed to create is a story and a feeling without any of that history and people are bought into it 100% even if it's a fairly generic lager. I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not down on it. I've had a couple of it. It's fine. No, but I, it's, you know what? There is a time and place for a, a Madri. Uh, and I think yeah. it's, it's clever that it's 4.6%, which is, you know, taste could taste premium. But I always, yeah. when they launched this, I thought, well, they're just, they're just putting a competitor to, to San Miguel. Now I love a San Miguel, but it's strong. It's it's five percent. I know it's only 0.4 of a percent, but it makes it there. In fact, I think even San Miguel might be more than five percent. I don't know, maybe I don't know. Anyway, it's around that mark. And this is more drinkable, but it has that premium taste, and it does taste good cold on a on a warm day. I'm not knocking it. Like, there's I've always said this on the podcast. I'm not a beer snob. You enjoy a Madri, go enjoy a Madri. But I think the design story you're telling is fascinating. In that, I remember seeing the beer appear in. I think I was. Uh, a, a golf club and I suddenly saw it and I thought oh, I've not heard of that before and I had one so it appeared in pubs before it was advertised and I, that's interesting as well especially with the branding because you're kind of inviting the drinkers to just you're obviously confident of the, confident of the taste at that point because you're like well let's just get it in the pubs and let it speak for itself it's clever you know I'm, I'm not just like you're saying about not being a beer snob about it I'm, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna knock the marketeers and the, sort of the branding consultants behind it for how well a, a job they've done at, at doing that. But you, you mentioned San Miguel, but the kind of the, the there being a, a man on the front who's got a, maybe a bit of traditional dress has more of a beer a beer Moretti kind of That's feel true. to it. It's like the ITV to the BBC of Moretti, isn't it? <laughs> well, I'm not sure I'd use either of those as the comparisons, <laughs> but um, 
from Madri's point of view, is an entirely intentional visual yeah. connection. Moretti's had you know a, a longer period. It does have a history behind it, even if again it's part of a you know mega brewing uh, conglomerate and it comes from a, a longer tradition. And the way that they've designed this is to try and tap in again to those things that are in the back of people's heads, and then you you're making these connections without yourself necessarily realizing it because you might have thought oh, I quite like that Italian Nago again potentially it's brewed in the UK under license Almost or whatever certainly. and but, begins with an M and ends in an I which I hadn't even realized up till now yeah I you know a happy coincidence but also when someone landed on it oh they've got this many, oh and it does that you know and it's Madrid I, with the D taken off so you know there's there really <laughs> are ramming the Spanish thing down your throat oh, absolutely like, we get but, it it's a Spanish beer except it's not it's brewed in the UK the type as well as well you know if you imagine sort of walking around Madrid or Spanish towns and looking above some more traditional shops yeah. and cafes and bars it's just the kind of type that you might see or at least it has hints at it so within the typeface there are these subtle hints to the observer of a place of a time good and man, red, red and gold is the spanish football team isn't it and it's got a gold top and yeah gold is the kind of alternate color so all thought through Definitely and awesome. and that's why it's been you know, one of the reasons or many of the reasons why it's been so successful in 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 launching and getting to what is it i don't know in a top top 10 seller beer in the uk oh, this year be, i must be i mean it seems everywhere i don't have yeah. the figures but it just seems everywhere right good good job on madry so i think we're now down to the, the final beer which is your choice yeah. this has been such a brilliant thing i i had a suspicion that this was going to be a lot of fun and it has been so what oh here we go i think i know what you've done here i think you've gone hyper local so tell us <laughs> I, I i will describe this is um it's a jawbone brewery which is a, a small microbrewery in twickenham uh down by the river i used to live in twickenham ben still lives quite near to twickenham and we've been in there we've we've had a um a drink at their little tap room uh great guy great brewer fantastic beers building a really good reputation so this is i think so if you want to if you want to google it it's jawbone bone idle in a can uh, it's a pale ale it's got what i would call that classic craft beer almost airstream can feel to it so you're seeing the natural metal of the can or what appears to be the natural metal of the aluminium shiny aluminium underneath it and then a wraparound label that takes up maybe three quarters of the of the can which is dark blue with a kind of pattern on it kind of reminds me of the avalanches album cover if you can picture that you've got a hook there their logo is a hook and i don't really know how that relates to jawbone but it's pretty recognizable i'm done describing but that's what it that, that's what it looks like to me so give us some theory on this ben one of the things that you um uh, aren't maybe able to see or viewers aren't see uh, underneath the hook it says born in a boatyard nice so okay uh, that they do have some copy they in contrast to kernel and i think this is important because there is an, a, an element of sort of these kind of qualities of word and image going on here so you described it sort of this kind of abstract background patterning which had that vibe of the uh, uh of that avalanches album from the early 2000s i was lucky enough to have a conversation with with ben the brewer at jawbone and i understood from him that all the labels certainly for his launch uh, and I think uh, Bone Idol was sort of his, 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 his core, his core beer um, and as we were able right from the start, were that they were, they're actually photographs taken around 
the industrial estate which is on the river that his brewery exists in so they are they may be abstract but they are actually pictures of this boatyard and this industrial space which have just been like water shimmering i don't know if it is but um... possibly i don't think it's been treated but i think the fact that you can read that into it is probably partly intentional but equally a positive um interpretation even if it was unintended that they would be happy for it to be interpreted but i think you did a really good job about that sort of um yeah the exposure of the can behind it and that, that in a sense that was partly the reason i wanted to do it as well because again it sort of talks about modern breweries or new breweries who are exper- you know experimental or they're you know they're, they're they're interested in in craft beers which don't have that tradition behind them and i think that in contrast to maybe a few of the other beers certainly the uh, sam smith's for example or bass which might be ales or bitters they have this very much a tradition and certain types of beer styles that they're associated with whereas these modern upstarts are not those things they are something else and they're building their own stories and the beers that they brew are not necessarily cask gravity poured and all that tradition behind it so they have to create their their own stories and so i think this is important that born in the boatyard there is a story being built about it and it's in the branding because, you know, this is where my, the brewery is. Just as you were talking there, I was thinking, I wonder if that born in the boatyard thing, it makes you think, well, I, I want to see this boatyard. I want to go to it. And I and he's obviously got the ability there. It's designed into how he uses the space to seat quite a lot of people. And that must be a good um, source of income. And, a sort of, and as I understand, he works on his own, doesn't he? So, I mean, I wonder, I mean, I, I doubt he's thought about it in this amount of detail but i just wonder if there's an invitation behind that uh, very possibly and, and, and maybe one day ben from jawbone will, will uh, yeah, like that, your podcast. <laughs> i like to have two bees in it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Under the hook. there's a space it's industrial um it's got a little story behind it it's definitely of this this new brewers the way that it's using a can not a bottle i mean there are going to be other reasons at which are potentially down to cost and how things are bottled but at the same time you know good designer works to the limitations or at least, again, a truism in design is, you know, that if you're given a set of confounding boundaries, you have to be more creative within that space. And um, I think that there's a, a good job is happening in, in this of conveying that or using those minimum means to be able to get sort of that maximum meaning to to use a phrase, which other graphics might be. Maximum meaning, that's a good one. Yeah. Well, yeah. Again, I'm. I'm. I have to call one of my brews maximum meaning. <laughs> I, I. I have to now shout out. There was a, um, um, a mid twentieth century uh, graphic designer called Abram Games who came up with the sort of the maximum maxim of maximum meaning minimum means, which is a really great sort of summation of how. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And, so kind and of efficiency of design, effectively. And efficiency of design, and and it, but it doesn't prescribe a way of doing something other than that you are trying to get across a lot of information with the smallest number of, mm. of variables, I guess, within that. And I think that's a, it's a good rule of thumb for a lot of people to, to think about design. I think what's true of all the things that we've discussed is that none of it's too Baroque with too much going on. And even if there is a lot going on, like a bit like the, the Sam Smith's, it's, it's all in a service to suggest a particular time and a period. It's, it's not there's too much there that the people can't see what's going on. And I think if we're talking about this around for all of the branding of, of beer, et cetera, they want to get across their message as quickly as possible. We stand out. We are here. This is what we do. 
and you want to buy our beer and enjoy our beer. Ultimately, I picked it because I want to support local brewing, but I think it it tells that it is a good example of that hyper local. But at the same time, we've got a story to tell and we're doing a good job of telling our little story about it and allows us to talk about other modern brewers. And the professionalism, right? Like this is a tiny brewery and that can, you wouldn't think that that is a tiny brewery. It looks right up there. And this, I guess, is modern modern technology, both in the design, but also in the manufacture. You know, you can get as a small operator, same in podcasting, you know, you can, you know, we're having a go at visualizing this podcast now and we can do it. You know, 20 years ago, we'd have had to get a film crew or, you know, hired a TV studio to do this. And I think that, that local craft and achieving very professional standards with very low budget and probably not huge amounts of of kit well a decent kit but you can get it all it's the, it's part of the story of modern brewing now is this and i think the gap is narrowing between uh you you hear of a lot of home brewers or certainly a few that move on to brewing professionally and i think that's you know it's great that the small brewers can come up with such professional design that it more than holds it out its own against the ones we've discussed tonight, right? Absolutely. I mean, it's the democratization of all of those things in in some ways, and in 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 the broader world that, that that it has its its drawbacks as well as its positives. But I think certainly for craft beer, for beer in general, it's a lot easier to to actually make stuff and then to make stuff that has that professional um, and quality feel about it. Uh, and I think that's that's probably only a positive, certainly within this field. And um, that accessibility to technologies allows this podcast to happen and allows these beers to happen. And I 100% agree, you know, this on the shelf easily holds its own against all the other ones in, in the shops that I go into. And I think oh, that I'm, I'm, it's distinctive. It stands out. It's got an identity. It's got a story. And if you go and talk to the brewer, he can explain, like I say, that, you know, that this all came from the place in which he works. If I was kind of sort of defining what's good design versus just design that's functional or, or adequate is that if you can talk to somebody about the way that something looks uh, and on the surface they may not have seen things or understood things about it but then they said well you know the reason we've used this color or that typeface or this picture is because of it's the boatyard I, I went in in the person you have that conversation with it starts to mean something more and like oh that's really great that you've done that you know it's really interesting so it sparks a conversation. And again, while this might be ignored by most people or never known by most people, those people who then hear it or understand it, or indeed the owners of those brands who think, oh, that's quite clever. I like having that story. As soon as those stories start to emerge and that can start to worm its way around other people, it, it adds something to it. And um, I think if design can spark a conversation, that's it's its best thing, regardless of whether or not it communicates precisely what it wants to do. But sparking conversation is always going to be a benefit, uh, a benefit to the person who's asked for that design to take place or has used that design. Yeah, that's, that's a really good point to end on. And it's obviously sparked a conversation here. And we've talked for a long time just by putting bottles and cans in front of us um, because there's so much to talk about. And I think what I've taken from this is that it's another part of beer that you can enjoy. You know, obviously... We enjoy the taste. We enjoy, I guess, the kind of ritual and the social side of it. But either if you're with people in a pub or um, in a in a microbrewery or something like a tap room, it's another thing for you to talk about. Another to start a conversation, as you said, another thing to enjoy about beer. 
you know, look at the label. You know, I think if you've listened to this podcast, you will look at the label and look at the bottle now. You won't be able to help yourself and get a bit more out of it. And if it's adding to the enjoyment of, of drinking beer, then, then that's a fantastic thing. When we look at those designs, we are already thinking about what it might taste like or what it is. True, so and that, true. That, that, that's a classic with food and drink. So it might actually, for many people, make them enjoy the products even more, yep. which can never be a bad thing. No, that, that's true. That's true. Well, look, this has been absolutely fascinating, as I hoped and thought it would be. Thank you, Ben, so much for um, giving your time and your design expertise on this. It's, it's been absolutely brilliant. Now, I'm, usually, I would just say goodbye to the guests now, but but since Ben insisted on the bit at the end, he now has to be present for the bit at the end. I, I really, really wanted to go to uh, the Great British Beer Festival. I sorted myself access on the press day. It just wasn't possible with work, family commitments that, you know, sometimes you just can't fit everything in. So that's a shame. I was hoping to bring you some interviews from there. But, you know, I, do you know what? I'm going to swap that. I'm going to take that negative. I'm going to put in the positive column the fact that Roger Protz followed me on Twitter, which is huge. Roger That's Protz is the news. god of beer. Big He's news. probably not the god of beer, but, you know, so I've seen grown men cry when he signs a book for them. So he is a legend in this space. He would be probably one of my number one picks that I would love to speak to on the podcast. So we're, we're an inch closer to that, which is great. Look, usual thing. If you enjoy this podcast, please tell people about it. I'd love to grow it more. You know, from now on, I will be, and I've already put the last two or three episodes up on YouTube. The way I record it, I will always try and record it on Zoom. And we will try and get the episode up on YouTube so you can watch it and consume it there as well. Doing my usual thing of contacting various interesting people on Twitter to see if they'll come on. Uh, I contacted someone who wrote on Twitter, look, I think I, I really want to hear what the, from the bartenders, the bar managers, the kind of bar staff side of thing on their take of the industry. And I thought that is fantastic. I want, I want to have that conversation. So I've reached out to a couple of people, see if they get back. We'll always try and get good writers on. We'll always try and get brewers from Wales on uh, to back that scene. I definitely want to have a conversation with, with Trev, who runs Pop and Hops, the two outlets, both in which are on Wichurch Road in Cardiff and also the Court Market because I know, you know, things are tough at the moment and you do not want to lose those shops. And I want to hear that story. I think it's powerful and hopefully it will get more of us to go and support those businesses. But that's it for now. So look, until the next time we make a podcast, drink some good beer, be nice to each other and look at the labels. Thanks, Ben. That's been fantastic. All the best. Cheers. Bye.